Hey everybody, we all doing well? Man, thank you uh, for having me. And um, yeah, he honore he kororia kitatua, he mauronga kite fenua, he fakaro paikina tangata katoa, kitiakiho, kitimihi, aro fano ikia koto katoa, kotamia tua tahi, kotiatua kitatua, kotamia tua rua kitatua, katoa. Nore rā, nō mai, piki mai, kaki mai rā, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Kia ora tātou te whanau, ko Trent Toko Ingoa, he Urua Kaparangi te waka, Hananui te maunga, ihu te awa, nai tahu te iwi, nai te atafuia te hapu. Kia ora tātou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. I uh, just want to, uh, you know, extend a warm welcome uh, to, to everyone that is here today, and especially that are visitors here today. Uh, as uh, Ruth just said, um, uh, I'm Pastor Trent from Auckland, and, uh, you know, I'm going to preach today, and I'm going to share my story today, and, uh, you know, try and feel at home as much as you can, uh, but just, we just want to let you know that God is alive and well, and we serve a God that is alive and well, and uh, He is here today, which is a crazy thing uh, to, to try and fathom, but, uh, you know, the God that we serve is alive. He's not dead, and uh, we love Him really uh, a lot, and, you know, that's why we praise Him, and we jump around because he's defeated death. Uh, we have victory in him. And so so just want to welcome all the visitors here today. And you may be freaking out going, man, these guys are crazy. I thought the church that I first came to, I thought everyone was crazy as well. I thought uh, they were smoking drugs and doing weird stuff. But no, actually, they were just passionate uh, and enthusiastic. Uh, about the God that they serve, you know, if you look in the di- uh, in the uh, in the dictionary, there's a definition of enthusiastic. Uh, a bit way down, it says uh, people that are enthusiastic are filled with the Holy Spirit. So people that are enthusiastic, if a church is enthusiastic, it means they're filled with the Holy Spirit, which is good. Just want to give a little welcome to Anita and Dave. I see you guys at the back, uh, good friends from C3. I know you guys have moved up here. Good to have you here. Can you welcome uh, Dave and Anita here? Good people. It's awesome. Um, yeah, so my wife and I, Jade, uh, and our beautiful girls are from C3 Auckland. We're, we were for five years um, out at our campus in C3 Monaco, uh, but three weeks ago we've just been uh, prayed into now pastor our main campus in C3 Ellerslie. Uh, so we have one church in four locations around Auckland, Ellerslie, Monaco, Albany, and about seven or eight weeks ago we planted a church in C3 West Auckland. Church is thriving and booming. We're in the best season we've ever had. We've seen a thousand people across all our four campuses worshiping, praising God on a Sunday, and God's been really, uh, you know, just just as awesome to us, and we're believing that we want to see Auckland City come to Christ and see our nation uh, experience the love of the Father like it's never experienced it before. Um, but, you know, I'm just going to share here this morning just around the Word of God, and then, uh, you know, I want to share my story, and I actually just want to pray for people at the end of this meeting. As I said, if you're visiting here, uh, you don't know who God is, we believe that God is alive, which I said, and that His power works through us as believers, and that if it says in the Bible, if we lay hands on people, people will be healed, uh, that, that things will be broken off them, and um, I've seen God do this 
um, a lot. Uh, as I pray, I've seen God do miraculous things. Uh, about two months ago in Australia, I was preaching there, and I prayed for a man who had Parkinson's disease. He had Parkinson's disease for over 15 years. He could not even hold a cup of tea or a coffee. And in one moment, with praying and standing on the Word of God and believing in Jesus, this man no longer has Parkinson's disease. Um, I've seen, I've seen over 300 people healed through the power of God. I've seen a young lady in our conference a few years ago walk in with a back brace, stomach brace, um, and, and a back brace. She had a fractured neck and a shattered pelvis in four places and a compressed spine. And uh, we prayed for her for 20 minutes. It took her 15 minutes to get her into the car. That's how much in pain she was. And after praying with her for 20 minutes, she was doing cartwheels on our altar with the back brace and nut back brace. And, and everything completely healed, her pelvis, her neck, her spine. And so I, I believe God, my wife has been healed from depression. Many people that we've prayed for have been healed from depression and anxiety. And we would love at the end of this meeting uh, to pray for you. Uh, if you need healing in any way or you need a breakthrough in any way, or you're believing for a family member uh, to come to Christ or anything, my wife and I have seen 70 friends and family come to Christ. All our family, but one of my sister have come to know Jesus or in church worshiping God this morning in our church. And God can can do what he's done for us and do for what he's done for these people with you here as well. And, uh, you know, and, and this doesn't just happen because I'm a pastor. Um, this happens because I'm a follower. And before anything, anything before my title, um, I'm a follower. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus before anything else. I get up, you know, I try to get up every morning and pray, just open my eyes and thank God, not because I'm a pastor, because I'm a son of God and I'm a follower of God, you know, and you know, um, I just want to honor uh, Paul and Ruth for having me too here this morning in your church and your leadership team. Thank you so much. What you guys are doing with your impact meetings here four times a year is is incredible. Uh, you know, we, we travel around New Zealand and, um, and do meetings and stuff. I've never experienced what I experienced. Uh, you know, up here uh, when we came and brought our Kapahaka group and, and that um, I've never seen half a meeting respond to Jesus Christ like that. We, young people and old people, I know one of our leaders who have now taken on our Monaco campus, godfather of his children, about a 70-year-old man, gave his heart to the Lord for the very first time. It wasn't just for youth. And, uh, you know, and you know, God's put a, on a, a vision on my heart around two and a half years ago to see, um, you know, the Church of New Zealand and the Iwis, uh, the Marais of New Zealand come together and declare that Jesus is Lord again again, because there was revival in this ground in the 1860s. There was revival through this whole land. You know, they believe that 95% of Māori were saved at one point and there was a time where there was 10 to 12 years of uh, complete peace throughout our nation and I believe that can happen again here and I believe what you guys have started and what happened here that day was the start of something significant in New Zealand and in the Māori people and in the vision that we have on our hearts. So I just want to honor you guys for your obedience. You know, the end of your obedience is the start of another person's freedom. And the end of your obedience of sowing and sowing and sowing has been just the release of so many people's freedom. And I just want to honor you guys for that. Can you give it up for your senior pastors here? Awesome. Um, you know, I, th th there is a um, statistic going around that, you know, if you meet Jesus for the very first time, uh, you, you know, you get on fire. G give me a wave if you've 
given your heart to the Lord here this morning. Awesome majority of you, that's great. And, you know, some of you may be able to relate. But in that first two years when you first meet Christ, um, you're just like so on fire for Him because it's like com- this completely fresh new thing. You sort of see things differently. You hear things differently. Everything's sort of different. But, you know, after about the, the two years, it's sort of everything sort of starts to get back to normality and everything sort of life kicks in again and everything sort of just is happening again just the way it was but I don't I don't read the Bible and read that anywhere that in your first two years is where you'll be the most on fire for God you know I, I what I read is from when you first meet him until the day you go to glory we should all be on fire for God and for me I want to break that statistic because I don't Read that. I'm more on fire for Jesus than than I've ever been. I've been following him for 10 years, and I just want to be following him, going after him more and more and more every single day. I pray for people every single week. I pray for people in gas stations and and just all over the place. If you jump on my Facebook and Instagram, uh, I've been challenged by a man that came to our conference last year, Todd White, who's back here this year. He challenged me to start posting all this stuff on Facebook. But like I, I do all this stuff because it just, it just comes out of me. You know, that I have the light of the world, that we have the hope of glory inside of us, and that, you know, that, that we, we don't just have to turn up on Sunday to, to be a Christian, that we don't have to turn up on Sunday to worship God, and, you know, we should be doing it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday should... We should, the church should be alive and well, and it's not because we just wait till Sunday just to get our little kick in our experience, but our, our, our Sunday, our praise and worship should be overflowing because we've seen miracles on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and, th- and we've seen God move in our lives every single day, and so when we come together collectively, we should be alive because we're like, oh, oh Lord, what you did on Thursday, what you did on Wednesday, and I don't do this, as I said before, because I'm a pastor, majority of people that I pray for and lead to the Lord or pray for and see them get healed and, and on the streets and in the community, they never know that I'm even a pastor. I don't tell them, oh yeah, by the way, I'm a pastor, come to our church. I just do it because I'm a, I'm a son and I want people to experience the love of God. Amen. And at the end of this meeting, you know, maybe, maybe you're a bit dry, maybe you're just going through the motions, or maybe God's not number one in your life. You know, I haven't just given God my sin. I've, I've given God my whole life. I've given Him my wife. I've given Him my kids. I've given Him my ministry. I've, I've given Him everything. And I, and, I, and I see too many Christians today are, are no longer driven by what we should be driven by is eternity. You know, we as believers need to be driven by one thing. Everything we should, that we do should be, should be setting up for eternity. But, but just like the world and just like many Christians that I see, they're driven by their, by some of them just by today, just trying to get through today. Some are just trying to get through next week. Some are driven by their third to three to five year goal or plan. Some are driven by, you know, mortgage or some are driven by retirement. Well, I don't read that in the Bible. We should be only driven by one thing, which is how do we populate eternity? How do we populate heaven? And if you're not, if, if God's not number one in every year of your life, if you're not burning for Him every single day, why don't you make a fresh commitment at the end of this meeting and say, God, I need you. 
You're not number one in my life. And I believe the power of God is here, and I believe the power of God is going to flow here in this meeting. I feel a, an anointing of God in this meeting to see miracles. And, to, and it's not time to retire, people. It's time to refire in Jesus' name. Refire for the things of God. Your greatest days are ahead of you. Samson's greatest moment, his greatest era was the last 10, 15 minutes of his life. Your greatest days, your greatest impact for this community is now, right here, right now. And I believe there's people in this meeting that have had prophetic words that have been told stuff about their life, and it's, it's, it's in a distance now. It's way back here. Why don't you bring it back to the forefront and say, God, oh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can see this church go to another level. I can step up in my workplace. I can step up for my family and see them come to know God. I won't give up. Don't you ever give up praying for your family. I'm a product today of a prayer meeting. My wife and I are standing here today because we found out a year later, which you'll hear people praying and a a bunch of local churches from Jade's parents talking about this, who, you know, Jade is a drug addict and going out with this drug addict, drug dealer, dropkick. And we here today are a product of prayer, of people praying for us in our darkest hours. And we come out of darkness and into light because what we heard later is people praying for us. Just like Mary and her connect group, eh? When you hear Peter in jail, there he was and his chains get broken. He gets released the next day and he comes to Mary's house and there's the church earnestly praying. And that's what you got to do. You got to keep praying for the chains to come off your family and come off your people in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Anyway, we're going to get into it here this morning. I'm going to read from the Word of God, and then we're going to um, share a little bit around what I just feel on my heart. I just thought I'd change it, change it up a little bit, because just hearing that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, and I just, I just felt like I needed to change some things up and bring a word to you this morning. So I'm going to read from Jeremiah 29, 13 to 14. It says this, God promises, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, you are awesome. We love you, Papa. We love you, Dad. You're a good, good Father. And we say hallelujah for another day in freedom. That we are no longer bound to the things of this world. Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory for every good thing we have in our lives. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, Wairuatapu. I pray that you would come like a fresh wind and a fresh fire in this place. Bring healing to the sick. Father, break chains in Jesus' name. We give you all the glory here in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. A burst of thunder caused a five-year-old boy to fly out of his bed and down to his parents' room. Mummy, mummy, he said, I'm scared. The mum half awake rolled over and said, go back to the bed, dear. God will be with you. The boy, still standing in the doorway, replied softly, Mummy, I'll come sleep with Daddy. You go sleep with God. (laughs) Who remembers um, the Incredible Hulk show? You know, not the new one, but the old, old one. Old people, give me a wave here. You know, David Banner, you know, crazy TV show. And I was probably about eight or nine years old. And um, I used to always make my mum watch this show. But I always used to have nightmares of this show and terrible nightmares of this show. And But I always used to make, well, you're going to have nightmares of blue. 
watch it. I won't have nightmares. But every single uh, night, I would always have nightmares of this show. Give me a wave, ladies, if you ever had a Cabbage Patch doll. Yeah, some of you young people are like, what the heck's that? It's probably good you don't know because they are the most ugliest, freakiest dolls I've ever seen. And these things creaked me out. My sisters used to collect these dolls. They had like 10 or 20 of them each and different kinds of things. But anyway, my nightmares went to another level when I had the incredible Hulk come to my room with a Cabbage Patch doll on his shoulders. And they would say to me, both of them, we're coming to get you. And I would wake up and I would just run, run down my parents' corridor into their room, jump into bed and hug my dad. And it straight away, straight away in that moment, everything felt perfect. Everything felt great. Why is that? You know what? Let me tell you what that's called right there. That's called the power of presence. Right there, that is called the power of presence. That's been with someone with authority and strength that makes you feel safe that gives you peace, that brings happiness and joy, and most of all, assurance that everything is going to be okay. That my dad is bigger than Incredible Hulk with a Cabbage Patch doll on his shoulders. Amen. Let me tell you something here. When you and I first develop memories, we are taking in the world around us. These experiences shape us with how we see the world. You know, we absorb the patterns of thought of those around us all the time. And once you get familiar with that group of people and that place that you've been living in all of your life, most of your life, when you go away somewhere, it doesn't matter if it's Fiji or the Greek islands or coming to Kirikiri, which is paradise. It doesn't matter if you go away and you have the most amazing holiday in the most amazing place. Isn't it funny when we come home, you get that familiar feeling, ah, oh, it's so good to be home. Right? Am I right? Why is that? Why does that happen? Because your spirit, you've got to understand that every single one of us has a spirit. If you're a new person here today that I welcome, if you've never known God, it's your first time in church, I don't need to try and convince you about the spiritual realm. We can just go on TV and watch shows around psychics. Uh, I can't remember the name of the show, but you see these women and these men that visit uh, talk to spirits. And, and let me just tell you, that that is real. What is happening is real. You see, it says in, in, in the Bible, in Ephesians, our war is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers, against the spiritual realm that is around us right now. There is a war going on right now. And the great thing is, one third is bad, but two thirds are really good. The angels, there are more angels than there are demons. And so we have a good team on our side and we have more power than what he has. But you need to understand that there is a spiritual realm around us all the time. But we also have a spirit. And so this spirit that we have has been shaped, the inner inner part of you has been shaped by that environment that you grew up in. Those voices, those words, those, that culture, that model that you 
saw or were around all the time has shaped your spirit. So when you go away for a long time and you come back to the place, your spirit all of a sudden is just it's familiar with the surroundings and it's at peace because it's what it knows. And then you see people, it gets, it gets really crazy because where you see people that are always in violent relationships. We were pastoring five years in, in Monaco in South Auckland and Man, it just was like, that's why I did a lot of research on this, because I would see women, a lot of women that were in really horrific, abusive relationships. We would walk them through out of these relationships, and then three months later, she was back in this another violent relationship. You see, people that are continually in the grips of poverty and all the time, you, we try and help them, and we help them with courses, and we help them show different directions, but they always want to slip back. And we always think to ourselves when we hear and we know people in our community that go back to these violent relationships, all these, all these mindsets, and we think, what's wrong with these people? Why does this happen? Let me tell you, because you will always end up where your spirit calls home. Your spirit will always end up where it thinks it calls home. Let me give you an example in the Bible. Israel get taken out of Egypt. They see the greatest miracles, I believe, ever. Every single day they are seeing God supply. They've seen the manna of heaven. They've seen quail. They've seen the glory cloud. Every single day they've seen the fire. They, they see probably the greatest miracle in my eyes is the parting of the Red Sea, which we heard. But if you read about the children of Israel, the people of Israel, what do you read about them while they're seeing all these miracles and all these great things? And this, is, this was a light bulb moment for me because as I said, I've seen great miracles and I love seeing the power of God. But this is the light bulb moment. And I realize too, I hear about great men and women of faith that have been in pastors and itinerant ministers that are no longer walking with God who have seen some of the greatest. I know people that have seen people raised from the dead that are no longer walking with God. And when I read this, this was, the, this was a light bulb moment for me because I felt God say, Trent, the miracles and all the great stuff that you're going to see is just a byproduct of my relationship that you have with me. That's all I really want. Everything else just flows out of that. And when I read that, that was the light bulb moment for me because you read the children of Israel grumbling the whole time while they're seeing all this amazing stuff. But here's the clincher for me. They wanted to go back to Egypt. But here's the number one thing for me. What did Egypt offer? Slavery. Their spirit found home in slavery. And they would rather stay there because it's what they knew than go into a place that they did not know, the unseen. Where you are right now is not where you're meant to be. Your promised land is found in the promises of God. Your things that are 
talking to you every single day, your past things that are just nabbing at you. You know, God showed me an image one day of when we first met Christ. It's like we were bound to a post, chained to a post. And in one touch with just his mighty finger, he broke the chains and set us free. And then he showed me a picture of the children of God walking through this earth, their chains set free around their bodies, but the shackles still tied to their feet. And these things are still being, still following them and, and their minds are still being bound from the past. The past will no longer offer you security in Jesus' mighty name from this day forward. Your spirit will no longer be found in addiction, in depression, in anxiety, in poverty, in that relationship in Jesus' name. Your spirit's promised land is in the promises of God. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Isaiah 45, 2 says, I will go before you and I will level mountains. I will break through gates of bronze. I will cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasure stored in secret places for you will know that I am the Lord God of Israel who has summons me by name I found my future in the promises of God because if I allowed my past to dictate my life and my path following God I would not be here today because I've got a really bad past and my spirit was attached to my past all of my life And was actually attached to my father's life and my father's father through generational things that now have been broken off my life. My daughters will not be addicts in Jesus' name. Because the Bible says so. And that's what I stand on today. My spirit will no longer be found in the past. And my past offers me nothing. Nothing. You see, my life was not all cups of teas and cupcakes. You know, I came from a a dysfunctional family around the age of nine. My mother and father broke up for bad reasons. My father was an alcoholic and a workaholic. And my mum's, I feel pretty crazy. She's pretty out there. But I don't know the full story. Anyway, my wife, my mum left my, uh, my father and raised my four siblings. I'm the youngest of four. And we grew up. And because my mum was on her own, we didn't have much uh, around. My mom had to work two jobs to, to you know, pay for us. She was doing 90 to 100 hour weeks. And so because my father was not around, my mother wasn't around either. And we got caught up in some pretty bad stuff because we had no one around just sort of guiding us. And I got addicted to drugs pretty early on, the age of 14, started smoking weed and drinking alcohol. And then I started taking harder drugs. And at the age of 18, I got addicted to a drug called Speed. And then around... 16 or 17 years ago, a bomb hit this country, and uh, this bomb hit this country and is now, right now, an epidemic in our country, but a drug hit the foreshores of New Zealand, and that drug is called methamphetamine, commonly known as the letter P, and I was one of the first people to get around seeing this drug starting to be manufactured through motorcycle clubs here in New Zealand, and I got addicted to this drug uh, really quickly. You know, there's new studies 
have just come out saying that you don't need the disease of addiction because addiction is a disease. You're born with it. And the only way you can get rid of it is through the power of God in Jesus' name. But this drug now is so addictive that they're saying now you do not need the disease of addiction to get addicted to it. That is how powerful it is. But I got addicted to this drug for the next seven years of my life. I developed a $250 to $500 drug habit a day. And then I got affiliated with one of New Zealand's most notorious motorcycle clubs. And from this point, I thought I found a new brotherhood. And so I left my old family behind. And I found, I thought, this new whānau, this new family. I started manufacturing methamphetamine for this gang. I didn't cook it myself. I had people doing it for me. But I started making large amounts of money for this gang. My life and my addiction started getting worse and worse. Uh, my, my disease started getting more and more aggressive. And uh, my life just spiraled right out of control. Um, I'd done some really horrible things to people. I've scarred people for life. And I mean for life. I've emotionally scarred people and destroyed people's uh, lives big time. There are families no longer together. There are marriages no longer together because of the destruction that I brought to these people. And through the grace of God, I've been able to go and make amends to some of these families and ask for forgiveness. And some of these people have forgiven me, which has been amazing. But my disease started getting really out of control when I started to see what this gang life was really about. You see, there was no such thing as this brotherhood. I saw an inside view of what it's really about. And this whole gang life and this whole world, as we read, is, is ruled by money. And I saw that this gang, these gang guys were not there for each other. They were out for each They were in for it only for each other. And so the last year of my using, I became a real monster. Um, because I detached from the gang life and because I had deserted and ruined my family, I got my brother and my other two older sisters addicted to methamphetamine. My older sister in one and a half years uh, through smoking pee, lost her marriage, lost her kids, lost her home and lost her business. And so in my last year of using, I began to see the destruction that I'd caused. And I, as I said, I pretty much became a real monster. And I'd done some horrible things to people where beforehand, you know, I used to be quite undercover because I didn't want the cops in the world to see me. But in my last year, I didn't really care. I mean, one time I had a guy that was saying a lot of bad stuff about me. You see, just before this happened, I'd met Jade. Uh, you think my story's pretty out of control. You wait till you hear Jade's. When I met Jade, she was doing a $200,000 drug deal. Jade was going out with one of Auckland's biggest methamphetamine dealers. They were doing uh, two uh, kilos of methamphetamine every couple of months. They managed to make around $1.5 million in the space of nine months. So when I met Jade, um, she fell uh, completely in love in Jesus' name. And uh, but we sort of, I took her out of uh, that relationship and did some horrible stuff to that man to take Jade. But within three months, uh, Jade fell pregnant with our beautiful little girl that sits here today, our beautiful miracle girl, Akela. But this guy that, um, that, that I was just talking about before, um, he was saying some pretty bad stuff 
about me, making up a whole lot of lies, which was making me really bad. And then it was in, ended up saying that he was the father of, uh, you know, my child, which you know what that means. And so I hunted this man. I spent money trying to find this man. And then one day my sister um, told me that she'd seen the car because I put it out to people, Blue Subaru Legacy with an orange sticker. And uh, she said, I think I've found the car. And it was like 2 o'clock on Key Street, which is in Maine, downtown Auckland. And I was outside Frank Allen Tires. And I got out of the car in broad daylight with people just walking around me. And he saw me. And I told him to come here. And he knew what was about to happen to him because he knew that he'd been saying bad stuff. And I was quite a bad man. I used to carry weapons on me. And at this point, I used to carry a six-inch blade in the back of my jeans. So when he came closer to me, I picked out, pulled out my uh, big shank and put it to his throat. And if it wasn't for my sister sitting in that car, I probably would have shanked him that day, right in his guts for what he was saying about me. My sister was screaming, please drink, don't do it, don't do it. And I took all his belongings off him. I made him empty out his pockets, took all his belongings, got a whole lot of much. See, that's, that's where my life got to. I just didn't care anymore if, if I was doing it in broad daylight. I didn't care if I was doing it in front of whoever. And in and, and my last year, as I said, it got really out of control. And uh, no one was doing business with me because I was ripping everybody off and people were ripping me off. And it was just, it was just really, really bad. My world came crashing down. Um, you know, Jade, uh, we had just had our baby and, you know, we're probably about six months into having her. I came home one day. Um, I used to be awake for four or five nights a week and then come home and sleep for two days. That was pretty common for me. And I came home one day and... Um, our, our baby was in the cot and Jade was in bed and I just walked in and fell asleep on the bed. And uh, Jade grew up in church. Jade actually went to uh, a youth uh, movement called Primal, which is actually inside C3 Church. And Jade, from the age of 15 to 17, went to Primal. Jade was now the age of 20, so she was in about three years of using drugs and in uh, her, her destructive uh, part of her life. But I came home and she was just laying in bed and saw our baby and saw me gray. At this stage, I weighed about 64 kilos. I'm 86 kilos now. I was just a walking skeleton. And uh, she just had a moment. She was like, I don't, I don't want to raise my baby up in this lifestyle. I really want to raise my baby up like I did in church. And my wife's only heard the audible voice of God once. And she closed her eyes and she, praised out, she prayed out to God, God, I really need to know if I'm meant to be with this man because I want to raise our baby in church. And the audible voice of God came over Jade in that very moment. And God said to Jade, you will marry a man from C3 Church. And she looked at me and she just went, pretty much it's over for you because I was an atheist and there's clearly no way that I was ever going to make it into C3 Church. I woke up two days later and I went to the dairy and I came out of the dairy and there's a friend of mine there and said, do you want to come and have a quick puff with me? I was gone to the dairy to get some milk just for Jade. And he said, do you want to come for a quick puff on a, on smoke some pee? And I was like, should I drop the milk off? Should I, oh, I'll go and have a quick puff. That went up, ended up going on a five-day bender. On the last day of that bender, I met a girl in a hotel room. I got invited to this hotel room by a friend of mine, and I walked in, and there was a girl there. And he pulled me aside, and about the first 15 minutes we were there, and said, I need to talk to you, bro. Pulled me aside and said, see that girl sitting down there? Do you know her? I said, I do know her. And he goes, she ripped off a gang member that you know $30,000. 
And I know this gang member very well. I was affiliated with him. And these people kill people. They don't muck around. So I pulled her into the bathroom and I just said to her, hey, you need to get that money back. You probably got about 12 hours because he's about to spend $100,000 just trying to find you because you brought shame and pain to his name. And he, she was like, I don't care. He's never going to find me. I said, he will have half of the Auckland gang syndicate looking for you. Trust me. You've got 12 hours. She's like, don't worry about it. Anyway, as I said, I'd been on a five-day bender. I was awake for five days. I needed to go home. I was a real wreck. I was in and out of consciousness a bit. Um, so I thought, oh, I'm going to go home. She asked me, because she was getting texts. When she ripped off this gang member, she had an, uh, an associate who was texting her saying, hey, I'm in this hotel room. Can you, can you come here? I've bought all this drugs with the money. So she asked me if I would drop her to the hotel room, which was on my way home. So I said, yeah, sure, why not? We're driving back to, the, uh, to my house. We got to the hotel room. She got out of the car, and she said to me, do you want to have a quick puff before you uh, uh, go home? And I thought, oh, yep, I'll have one more puff. So I remember it quite clearly. We got out of the car, and we walked up to the hotel room in Green Lane, just a poxy little uh, hotel and she went up to the door in front of me. She knocked on the door. The door opened. She walked in. And all I remember is just seeing this massive hand grab her hair and pull her into the hotel room. And I was like, what's going on here? And I came around the doorway. I said, what's going on? And I just got this hard piece of cold steel pointed on my head. And I don't know if you've ever had a double barrel shotgun placed on your head, but it's a pretty scary feeling. And there on the two single beds was... Uh, the gang member that she had ripped off and another one of his associates and uh, the guy that she had ripped off the gang member with. It wasn't actually him texting her. It was actually the gang and they had kidnapped him. And he was black and blue on the floor. And because I walked in with this girl, they automatically thought I was involved with ripping them off. And I looked at him and said, bro, you know me. I wouldn't rip a dollar off any of you. Um, you know, but he just was just full of hate and roar, and he just, they just didn't care what I was saying. They ended up kidnapping us for two days. I think it was around two days. I can't really remember because I'd been, uh, been awake for five days, and then they were, they, they went to town on us. They bit her black and blue. They bit me up pretty bad. Um, they, they, I'm not going to try and sit here and say I'm a hard man, that I took it like a champ. I was a scared little boy because I thought I was going to die in that moment. What you read in the papers and all that is all true. We don't even hear half of the, some of the stuff that they do. Um, but, you know, they stripped me naked. They didn't sexually abuse me, but they just tried to break me. And, and you know what? They, they, they broke me. I was a scared little boy. And nothing in the world was going to get me out of this situation. Like I had no money. I couldn't call on anybody. In the last year of my using, as I said, it was just really bad. No one wanted to do business with me or nothing. And I just thought maybe I could sneak out the window in the bathroom of this hotel. And I remember going to the bathroom. I tried to shut the door, but they kept the door half open because they knew maybe what I was about to do. No one's ever preached to me the gospel. No one's ever told me the love of the Father. No one's ever told me about God, but I don't know if you've ever been in a rock-bottom situation. I don't know if you've ever been kidnapped by gang members or you know you're about to die. But for some reason in that moment, I needed to call out to someone. And I remember closing the medicine cabinet on this wall, and there's a little mirror on the back of this cabinet. And I closed, and I looked in the mirror, and there I was, skeleton-looking guy, 
Humpty Dumpty's all over my face, black and blue. And all I could think about in that moment was my little baby. That I was never going to see my, my child ever again. And my, my baby's never going to have a dad. And I looked into this mirror. And I felt like yelling and screaming, but I knew I couldn't because I knew that the guys would hear me. But I looked into the mirror and I screamed under my breath and I said, God, I need you. Please help me. I want to see my baby again. And I said these words. I said, God, if you help me, please, if you help me, I promise I'll help you. I don't know how long it was, but I know it wasn't that much longer. But another gang member walked into the hotel room. And then he started having an argument with the other gang member. And all of a sudden, I remember getting put into a car. And then all of a sudden, I remember getting driven home. And this gang member, because I'm just blacking in and out of consciousness. I'd been on it for five days. They'd kept me awake for two days. I hadn't eaten or drunken. I was just so absolutely raw and wrecked. And I remember him saying, bro, what are you doing? you got to get out. What's Anyway, he dropped me home, and here I am thinking, sweet, I'm home. I'm come home to my baby and my partner, Jade. And I remember banging on the door, but I couldn't really speak, and I was so weak. I couldn't really knock, and she wasn't answering the door. So I remember getting around the side of the house, finding a little window. And I climbed in the window, and I fell on the floor, and I sort of army crawled, and I turned on the light, and the whole house was empty. Because if you remember seven days earlier, Jade had made a prayer to God saying, God, I need to know, and God said, you'll marry a man from C3 Church, and when I went to the dairy to get some milk and didn't return, she pretty much had enough, and she packed the whole house and left. So I came home thinking I was home to safety and everything, but I came home to absolutely nothing, and talk about a brother's rock bottom. Jade came home, I don't know, maybe a few hours or a day later, and found me in the fetal position on the floor, and she freaked out, looking at me, what happened to you? And I said, please, I need some help. And uh, about three weeks later, after detoxing on Jade's parents uh, at at their house, I made it into a drug rehabilitation program. For six months, I was there. And that time, Jade had started going back to church. And uh, when I came out of rehab, Jade said to me, hey, um, we should go back. uh, We should go to church. I've been going to church. I was like, you go to church. You'll be awesome there. It's awesome for you. Because my idea of church was like old wooden pews, hymns, just didn't want a part of it. And I didn't believe in God. Anyway, Jade's cousin one day was speaking um, at a Salvation Army Church, uh, which was actually a part of a, a thing called the Bridge Rehab Program. There's a church on the, on, on the, on the extended, on the side of the, the rehab. And she said, oh, my cousin's speaking there. It's at the rehab church. So there'll be people that you know in recovery that'll be there. You should come to that. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just come to that. Yeah, I'll come to that because maybe I could hang out with some of the brothers that are getting clean with me. Anyway, I don't remember anything that happened in the meeting. I don't remember what her cousin talked about. But at the end of the meeting, supposedly, he talked about um, an alpha course. If you've got big questions about who God is and all that stuff, he's going to be running it for six weeks. If you're interested, come and see me. Anyway, Jade comes out to the end of the meeting. She goes, did you hear what Ross said about the alpha course? I was like, nah. She goes, oh, it's this course, and you can, you can understand who God is, the big questions. We should go. I said, oh, babe, you go. It's going to be awesome for you. You'll be great at it. And she said to me, it's my birthday in three days. And you've just got out of rehab and you have no money. 
So for my birthday, I want you to come to this course. And I said to her, I can't wait to be at this course. It's going to be awesome. So next Wednesday, Jade's cousin picked us up every week for six weeks. For that first five weeks, I don't really remember too much. I remember hearing some of the answers of the big questions about God. But on the last week of the Alpha course, they do a thing around the Holy Spirit. They talk about who the Holy Spirit is. Now, the Salvation Army captains who were taking the course, they didn't do the last week's course because they were not Spirit-filled. So Jade's cousin said, I will get up and do the last week because he's a Spirit-filled Christian. Anyway, he's talking, and I'm sitting there, and Jade every week's like taking notes. I'm just sitting there like, you know. And I remember looking around, and some of the recovering addicts were half asleep. I think some of the Salvation Army captains were half asleep. Anyway, Ross is talking, but for some reason it was really weird. Ross was talking, but I couldn't hear him. And all of a sudden it felt like time just stopped. And I'm sitting there, and I had this feeling come over me. And my whole body just got covered in goosebumps and fire. And I was like, and then this, it was like a voice, but I just remember it as, so hard to explain and I can't explain it but I just had this feeling this this voice it was so weird but I had this feeling come over me and this voice say remember what you said to me that I would help you you were you would help me and I am he and it's like someone just like injected me with like adrenaline or like 10 grams of methamphetamine just went straight into my butt. Boom! And I'm standing there like on fire. Then all of a sudden, Ross's voice just starts talking again. But I'm just burning right now, Paul. I'm going, and everyone else is like half asleep and everything. And then Ross just finishes with, hey, does anyone want to get up and say anything about what they've learned from this course? And for some reason, I was just like, what? I just stood up from this table and said, my name's Trent Memory. Seven months ago, I got kidnapped from gang members and I called out to God in that kidnapping and I said, God, if you're real, help me. If you help me, I will help you. And I think it's the God that you guys are talking about. What do I do next? All the drug addicts will wake up. The Salvation Army captain, some of the recovering guys like, yeah, bro. Ross's, Jade's cousin Ross, who was standing in the pulpit, just weeping, weeping. Because he was like one of the other prayer people that I was talking to you about at the start of this meeting. He'd been praying for us for about a year. And I was standing, what do I do next? And he took me the next day to Wyweara Beach, baptized me. And then we, next Sunday, I said, Nico Church, he said, come to C3 Church. And I came to C3 Church and I ran on the altar. And I declared in front of everybody that I knew that Jesus Christ is Lord and He is my Savior. And I've never been the same ever since. Let me, how, let me tell you how one encounter with God can change everything. You see, from that moment that I called out to God, I'd been a drug addict for 16 years of my life, taking drugs nearly every single day, a meth addict for seven years. That moment that I called out to God, that one moment in that kidnapping, I'm now 10 years and two months clean and sober from that very moment. 
But let me tell you, it's not about the encounter. It's what you do with it that really counts. We can all have an encounter. And some of you had an encounter, but you haven't really made it count. Some of the things of the past of pulling you back and holding you back. Some of you are sitting there going, you don't understand what I've got, the stuff that, that I've got going on, this stuff that I've done, all that stuff I'm carrying. Have you read the Bible lately about the people in the Bible and about their problems that they've got? It is actually, you cannot tell me that God cannot use you. I've never done Bible college. I've never done any course. I'm now the exec- executive pastor of a church of a thousand people. How does that work? I got no idea. You can't tell me that God can't use you. L- listen to this. Listen to these people. Because Pastor Paul and Ruth, what I got frustrated with is when I came to church, people were just like, oh, they're just sitting, not, not, not getting used. Or, oh, you don't understand. Oh, wh- wh- I'll wait till I get this sorted. And I'll, you'll never be ready. You will never be ready for the things of God in your life to go to this extreme. Let me read to you in the Bible what it says about some of these people. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Jonah ran from God. Noah got drunk. Zacchaeus was short. Moses stuttered. Gideon was insecure. Elijah was depressed. Abraham was old. Paul was a murderer. And my favorite, Lazarus was dead. God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. The power's not in the IQ, it's in the I can, people. You just got to say, I can. And some of you need to let this stuff go today. And let me just tell you one thing. Maybe, just maybe, like the children of Israel, maybe, just maybe, that God's allowed some of this stuff to follow you. Some of this past stuff, some of this stuff that is helping, making your spirit call. Maybe, just maybe, God's allowed it. So today, you can turn like the children of Israel when they had Pharaoh and his army chasing them, their past, their past demons. Maybe God allowed that to happen so we could turn around like the children of Israel and look our enemy in the eyes and see it absolutely die in front of us. Maybe your anxiety, maybe your past, maybe your addiction, maybe God's allowed you to have it up to this point so you can turn and look it in the eyes today and say, enough is enough. You will see God do amazing things. I remember two years, let me finish on this story. I remember two years into being pastors. And if you allowed God to open your heart and just, oh man, I can tell you story after story. Let me tell you, would you, would you go to the, the level of allowing your number one enemy walk into church next Sunday? Would you allow the person that you hated the most, would you allow that person to come in and would you give them a hug and say, I forgive you? Two years into being a pastor, I remember Jay getting a phone call from her best friend, Mia. And I hear them talking, and I knew Mia was in meth addiction. And I heard her talking, and, oh, so good, yeah, you can come to church. I was like, oh, cool. You know, she gets off the phone, she goes, oh, she goes, I was just talking to Mia. I was like, awesome. She goes, guess what, she needs help. 
She wants our help. I was like, awesome. She says, she's going to come to church next Sunday. Cool. She goes, she's going to bring her boyfriend, though. And I said, okay. She goes, she's going to bring Dan. I was like, yeah, cool. She goes, no, no, Trent. She's going to bring Dan. Dan Gray. I don't know if you remember that story I was telling you about, about that guy that, that guy that I paid people to hunt down, that guy that was saying bad stuff about me. He was saying that he was the father of my child. The guy that I held a knife to his throat in broad daylight. The guy that I despised. She said, she wants to bring Dan. My answer to that was, you know, there's a lot of other great churches in Auckland. You know, Life Church is a great church. City Impact, great church. Baptist Church, great church. Maybe they could go there. And you know, like the wife's really smart, you know, like really clever. She turned to me and she said, oh, is that what Jesus would do? And I remember the day, that Sunday, I see we're just about to start worship and I see Mia walk in and I see Dan walk in. And I was preaching that day. And I don't know, Pastor Paul, if you've ever preached a message in a church knowing that someone in the, in the pews is someone that you wanted to kill. <laughs> I, 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 I tell you, it gets really awkward when at the end of your message, you give an invitation for people to know God and the only person that puts up their hand is the person that you tried to kill. And I remember that day he walked down the aisle and he stood on this altar and I gave him the biggest hug and I said, forgive me, bro. Forgive me, man. I did not know what I was doing. 18 months ago, I had the privilege of marrying Dan and Mia. Jade and I are now the proud godparents of their beautiful two little girls. And all I can put it down to is because of God is number one in my life. And that I no longer let the past offer me security, that I do not look to the past any longer because the past got buried in the sea like it did Pharaoh, like all its other demons. Everything of the old has been buried in Jesus' name. And I want you right here, right now to be set free of your past. I want you to be set free. And I want you here today to say, you know what, God, I need to put you number one. Because he is not, ask yourself, is God number one every single day? Is he at the forefront of every single decision of your life? And if he's not, I want you to make it right today. I want to make your encounter count today. Let's bow our heads right now and close our eyes. Right here, right now. If you here this morning, maybe with every eye closed and every head bowed, You've maybe come here today for the very first time. You've been coming for a few weeks and you've never done this moment. You've never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. Let me just tell you this. You, don't need, you do not need to change anything to be accepted by God right now. He accepts you as you are. As you are. Maybe with all your pain, with all your shame, with all your problems, guess what? He accepted me just like that. And look what He's done in my life. He'll do the same for you. If you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, we're going to say a prayer in a moment. And you know what? God's going to come into your heart, and I believe He's going to set you free. 
And I want to give people here this opportunity. If God's not number one, maybe the world's number one. Maybe some of you here are sick and tired of being sick and tired. You're just going through the motions. You're like just living life. God didn't just come to give us life. He came to give us life to the full, a full life with everything that He has to offer in our lives every single day. You need to ask yourself right here, right now, between you and God, is He number one? Are you burning for Him every single day? Is the Lord your Savior of every area of your life? If He's not, I want you to respond here. And if you're unsure right now of your salvation, you just want to really make it count. I want to give you that opportunity here as well to say, you know what? I want to make sure if something was to happen to me, I'm going to go to heaven. Jesus is in my heart. So right across this place with every eye closed, this is your moment. What a beautiful day this is. That when 10 years and two months ago when a drug addict got kidnapped by gang members in a hotel room and God sent him free, he knew that 10 years and two months later he would be in Kirikiri, Northland, preaching in a church and he was going to introduce you to Jesus and get your life back with him. How beautiful is that thought that God thought about this thousands of years ago. So if that's you here today, you've never given your heart to Jesus or he's not number one in your life or you want to make your salvation count. Let me pray for you right now. Can you just lift up your hand and say, Trent, that's me. Who are you right now? Yes. Awesome. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Who else? Eight. Come on, lift your hand. Yeah, nine. Awesome. Who else is there? Say, Trent, that's me. Yes. Thank you. Awesome, madam. Thank you. Thank you. Who else is there? Say, Trent, that's me. I see your hand, darling. Who else is you? Say, Trent, that's me. Awesome. I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Who else? Just quickly, who else? Say, Trent, that's me. Who else is there? Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Guys, can we just open our eyes and lift our head? I just want to do something really cool. As I said, I want to pray for you, but if I come and pray for you individually, it's going to take um, up time, and Paul and Ruth are going to get really mad with me, and I probably won't be able to come back here and speak. Uh, and, it's, and people are hungry as well, so they need to go eat. Um, so can we all just stand to our feet right now? And can I just ask you to be really brave? If you lifted your hand just before, can you come and stand here right now? Because you know what? It says in the Bible, if you're awesome, bro. It says in the Bible, if you acknowledge uh, me in front of men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. So all those people that lifted your hand, can we just encourage them right now and just come? Just come. Come. Just come. Just come. Awesome, sir. Awesome. Awesome. Come and stand here on this altar. Just come. Awesome, madam. Here today. Awesome. Can we just lift your hands right now, all of you guys? Just lift your hands to heaven. And we're going to say this prayer, and the whole church is going to do it with you. But for you here today that responded here, I want you to say this with all of your heart. And I want you to repeat these words after me, but with everything, like you mean it. And this is going to be the most, this is going to be your moment where you're going to make it count. So right here, right now, let us pray. Whole church is going to do it with you. But you guys on the altar, do this with everything you've got. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I give you my life. I make you first in everything. I thank you that today I confess that you are Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I thank you that from this day forward, my life will bring you glory. I love you, Jesus as my Lord and Savior, in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just celebrate with these people right now? Awesome.
Guys, I just want to, can we just uh, sing just a nice worship song? If you just need prayer around, I feel like there's like three or four people that need healing here. Uh, if you just need healing, uh, for you guys, you guys can stick around. At the end of this meeting, we're going to give you a Bible. And we want to just get some details off you to send you some stuff if you need some help and partner with you uh, with some of the leaders here. But if you're here and you just need a touch of God right now, you need healing here this morning, but you just need a fresh impartation of His Holy Ghost. Would you just come out of your seat right now? And if you guys want to stay here, let me pray for you. But if you need to go, church, we bless you. We release you. Go and be the difference in the world. Don't just wait till Sunday next week. Go and change someone's world on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Come on, let's worship God. Why don't you just come out here? Come closer. Come forward. Come forward. In Jesus' name. If you need to go, we bless you. We release you. See you guys here back next Sunday.